The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange traded funds, you're in the right place. Every week, we're bringing you interviews, market analysis, and breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani. Markets are still grappling with banking contagion fears and weighing the impact of the latest merger between UBS and Credit Suisse. But already, new ETFs are springing forth to capitalize on the banking crisis and help investors navigate the confusion. Our guests will break down the benefits of concentrated sector bets and discuss other ripple effects from the fallout of Silicon Valley Bank. Beyond just the banking industry, here's my conversation with Dave Mazza, Chief Strategy Officer at Round Hill Investments. Greg Basick is the CEO of Axis Investments, and Todd Rosenbluth is the head of research at Vetify. Dave, yeah, congratulations. You moved with stunning speed to capitalize on this banking crisis. Tell us about this big bank ETF launching tomorrow. Uh, what's in it? Yeah, Bob, you're absolutely right. There's been a lot of question marks about the financial sector. And what we've been hearing from investors for years is looking for opportunities for more precision than is available today. And what the big bank ETF is, it's exposure to six banks, the largest and most liquid banks in the U.S. And so that's Bank of America, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan, and Wells Fargo. And again, these are the banks that actually stand to benefit from this turmoil and that we believe actually are going to offer investors potentially the opportunity to do better than what we have seen, of course, with the regional banks. And I see you've got here, uh, we're putting up a full screen here, uh, you have an expense ratio of 0.29%. That uh, expense ratio compares favorably, Todd, with the expense ratio of the, the bank ETF, the KBE. I think it's 0.35%. You know, uh, Todd, I really marvel at how quickly the ETF industry can capitalize on these hot investing trends. It really is something. Remember we saw this, with, we've seen this many times. We saw this with, with pot ETFs. We saw this with thematic tech ETFs. Uh, with cybersecurity, social media. We saw this with crypto. Uh, and investors pile in when it's a hot topic, uh, but these hot topics often underperform a year later. So uh, explain to us how we should sort of look at these products. It's marvelous to see how quickly the ETF industry moves, but should investors necessarily jump on everything like this? So, so no, investors shouldn't just jump to this just because banks are in the news and both the good and the bad that comes with it. You really want to do some due diligence, make sure those six banks that Dave was talking about is important. We're, at Vetify, we're seeing greater interest in financial ETFs in particular. In fact, from a sector ETF perspective, more than 50% of our traffic on our website was towards financial ETFs over energy, over technology. But you want to make sure that you're researching for the right reasons. You could either be buying, you could be selling. You shouldn't just go into financials just because it's making the headlines. In fact, that might be a reason of risk why you may want to steer clear of financials because you have it within your portfolio. I get this all the time from from our viewers who, uh, when we talk about IPOs on the day, and then, of course, they pop on one day, and then six months later, they're lower. Dave, you know what I'm talking about. Why is now necessarily a good time to invest in banks, given all the increased regulation and higher costs? Well, it's interesting. We don't believe that investments in the banking sector is actually a trend, right? So we're talking about names in this particular case that are, that are, that are mega caps that actually have exposure and to diversified business lines whether that's traditional deposit banking, in the case of Bank of America or Wells Fargo, or you know, really uh, leading investment banking franchises in the case of Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. 
Um, but what's interesting here is that you know a lot of firms had calls on regional banks uh, doing well in the year. I don't think many could have predicted the turmoil that we're seeing today. But in a crisis of confidence, where really investors are going and picking and choosing any areas of weakness, whether that's Silicon Valley Bank or Credit Suisse, the idea that investors are now going to have the opportunity to gain that financial exposure without the dilution that they're going to get uh, potentially with other financial ETFs, I think is really exciting. And that's one of the reasons why we looked to bring uh, the big bank ETF, a big beta market tomorrow. You know, Todd, the investors in, in these sector bets, banks or energy, whatever, I think it's a good time to realize that they may be more exposed than they think of to certain things. Uh, for example, just this bank thing. Value is the largest, banks, financials are the largest sector in value ETFs. Um, Vanguard value is 20% financials. Uh, iShares uh, S&P value is almost 20%. So investors, if they own certain sectors, even if it doesn't say financials, they may be very, more, very much exposed. This is sort of like a teaching moment, my point is, to explain to people understanding what you, what you own here. That's right. So financials is one of the larger sectors within the broader marketplace, but in value ETFs in particular, it's the heavyweight. That's where people tend to turn undervalued companies like J.P. Morgan, Bank of America. So with these ETFs, sector ETFs in general, and more concentrated ETFs, you really want to make sure you want to overweight. That now is, a, according to you as an investor, is a great time to be overexposed to these companies. These are more concentrated. That comes with the pluses. That comes with the minuses. But make sure you know what's inside your ETF. You know, Greg, I want to bring you in here. Uh, you run a, a, a suite of long, short ETFs, uh, including a very well-known, the long, short ARC funds. Uh, you run the short innovation uh, daily ETF with, with the SARK as a symbol there. That's short ARC. And you run the two times innovation ETF, which is T-A-R-K. That's long ARC two times. Um, how can ETFs be used as a tool for those who have uh, have high conviction? You run high conviction ETFs, it seems to me. We do. And actually, you know, it's interesting with this latest development, you know, with thousands of startups and small high growth companies really driving innovation, having received financing from Silicon Valley Bank and others like it. This really could be a harbinger. Uh, for concern around the ability of these kind of innovation driving companies to get financing uh, going forward. So, you know, with that potential chilling effect on financing of tech driving companies, to your point, that access short innovation ETF, the SARC ETF, uh, we've seen sentiment play out uh, around that. For example, in just the seven days after the Silicon Valley Bank news broke, we saw an 80% jump in trading volume versus uh, the seven days leading into that news. So we are, in fact, uh, uh, on that side of the trade for those with high conviction concern around how this could impact startups and smaller high growth uh, businesses that are driving innovation. Uh, we, are seeing, uh, we are seeing that take place. And then the TARC ETF, um, the 2X Innovation ETF, same thing, over 50% jump in trading activity uh, in that seven days following the Silicon Valley news breaking versus the week leading up to it. So uh, this makes some sense to me. I mean, so, to the extent Silicon Valley Bank w w is a whole play on the startup economy, uh, then and to the extent Kathy Woods is a play on the startup economy, these kinds of ETFs, the SARC and TARC that, that Greg represents, 
do make sense for people who have high convictions with the understanding of what, what goes on in these ETFs. Right. That's important, too. Yeah. The, you know, the daily two times, and everything. Two yeah. times leverage or shorting obviously comes with greater risks than investors probably fully appreciate when they just see the price performance yeah. chart uh, that we showed up on the screen right now. And this is obviously a playoff of ARKK, which has seen really strong performance in 2023. And actually, we saw people rotating towards it um, during times of uncertainty because it was, it's a risk-on way of getting exposure to the growth economy. But of course, concentrated bets are concentrated and come with risk on its own. So you just want to make sure you know what yeah. you're getting and, and what you're not but getting. My point is that it, what he's saying here makes some sense to me. To the extent Silicon Valley Bank was a play on the startup economy, and you have a situation here where all of this disrupted, this, what happened with Silicon Valley, disrupted perceptions of the startup economy. Then Greg talking about higher volumes in Sark and Tark, which are Kathy Wood's plays on startup economy, essentially. That makes a lot of sense. You would see those kinds of volume plays. It, it does make sense. And again, that's the, the benefits of the ETF and the liquidity that comes with it. We're seeing volume spiking in areas where investors want to get exposure to it. And there's now an ETF vehicle, both long or short, in addition, or two times long and short, in addition to the traditional ARKK product. Yeah. You know, um, Greg, you're also, um, speaking of concentrated bets, you're also a big mover uh, in single stock leveraged and inverse ETFs. Um, but aside from some trading action in the Tesla Bear ETF, maybe we could put that up again, and maybe the NVIDIA Bear ETF, I, the volumes that I see in these single stock ETFs are pretty modest. Well, can you parse that for us? Why is that happening? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, in our experience, it's consistent with any new uh, innovation. So um, to your point, our TSLQ ETF, um, you know, has been uh, very strong, 100 million uh, a day in terms of um, in terms of volume, um, NVDS, which is uh, a, sh a short uh, Nvidia stock, same thing. We're seeing um, some some growing momentum there. But when I say it's consistent with any new innovation, a lot of it is about education and visibility. When there were other new innovations in the ETF market, many of them took a little more time uh, until investors uh, understood that these were tools out there for them. You know, big picture wise. Um, I would also share that, you know, we are pleased with um, the launch of the family in a relatively short amount of time. Uh, you know, overall, we've raised about a quarter billion in assets uh, in the fund family. And to your point, there's been a little bit of a, uh, a difference in terms of which ones were faster out of the gate. Uh, but we're uh, very bullish on, on the long term growth of, uh, of this space in general. Well, it Todd, this isn't a big surprise. I mean, people want to play Tesla because it's got high volatility and it's got an, a, a, a man, Elon Musk, that people love to play long and short. Uh, NVIDIA is a high volatility, high conviction tech stock. But Pfizer, uh, you know, really, what's the use case there for people getting really excited about Pfizer? I mean, it's a low beta stock. So I, I'm not terribly surprised by any of this, are you? No, I'm not. I mean, I think there was a concern from the, within the ETF industry that we would see a single stock leveraged and inverse ETF universe for, for, for the yeah. whole suite of the S&P 500. And there just wasn't a use case for that. Tesla is a company people have in their portfolio or they have conviction on long or short, but very few companies fit that same criteria. Apple, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Meta. But most of these companies 
you really want to have, you could just own the individual stocks. And ETFs, of course, you get the benefits of yeah. diversification. Greg, uh, on, on Sark and Tark, the, 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 the Kathy Woods long and short ETFs, who actually uses them? I know it's popular to say, oh, professional investors use this. But do, do we have any evidence like hedge funds use them? And in what cases are they just going owning them or are they using it in conjunction with uh, another strategy of, of going long or short options or something? I, I'm just dying to meet somebody who will come on and say, oh, I use these all the time and here's how they use them. Do you, do you have any insight into that? We do. And, and, and uh, let me share that with you. Just one quick point on that last uh, uh, comment, though, about the other single stock ETFs. One other data point I just want to share is that where we have seen with respect to those other single stock ETFs, we have seen a, a nice pickup in volume, for example, around earnings season. So for something like Pfizer and Nike and some of the others, um, it is notable that we have seen jumps around um, those use cases like earnings and other company uh, developments. That's why we, we remain bullish on that family. With respect to who's buying them, um, we are seeing that it's largely uh, the sophisticated traders. But what does that mean? It's hedge funds. It's a lot of institutions. These are big position takers often that uh, are long, for example, uh, on the uh, underlying stock in the case of Tesla, but want to trade around those news uh, investments and might have a very high conviction short-term bet. And for, for um, investors like Sark and Tark, same thing. These are um, large, sophisticated investors that tend to be, in, in a lot of cases, long disruptive technologies um, and looking to have a high conviction short bet uh, or the opposite. You know, they're, they're looking to, uh, you know, go 2x, uh, around news where disruptive technologies and, and the real innovation drivers, uh, where there's some developments that have come out both uh, economic or market-wise or industry-specific, uh, where they want to take that short-term uh, high conviction uh, bet. Yeah. Okay. Let me uh, thank you for answering that. So it looks like a lot of people are using, the, they're, they're long the stock or long the ETF, and then they're using these, these t for short-term Convictions. As if it's a covered call, yeah, like if you just, right. just being able to do it in a more efficient manner than trying to use the options themselves. Yeah, good point here. All right, Dave, I want to bring you back in here. Um, in a move, uh, speaking of Kathy Woods here, you're also planning to release a, a suite of ETFs with concentrated exposure outside of this big tech, e, big bank ETF. You're, you're going to launch a, a big tech ETF, a big airlines ETF, a big defense ETF. I'm sensing a trend here. Why are concentrated bets a, a, a hot topic now? What, what, what made you decide to issue these and when are they coming out? Look, Todd said it well. Um, I'm a big believer in knowing what you own. And in this market, that's more uh, important than ever. Uh, if we look at the, you know, the largest uh, financial ETF, XLF, which is you know, a great fund, which has serves great purposes, if you look at the exposure in the top five, there's now names like Berkshire Hathaway, Visa, and MasterCard. And of course, they are financials as defined by GICs, but they're not necessarily banks. And the same could be said about other sectors, whether that's technology, airlines, or defense. So our idea is to bring investors the precision that they're looking for to gain exposure to that narrower number of names. Now, of course, there could be environments where you want the smaller companies. There could be environments where you want non-profitable tech companies. But... In this market, there is a flight to safety. People are bidding up some of the larger names, especially in the banking space, because they may be the beneficiaries over the greater regulation coming there. Um, and, and that's why we're, we're bringing the big B to market. The others we hope to have soon, but you're absolutely right. 
Um, the intention here is that Big B is not just a standalone opportunity, but the idea of it being a leader in a potential suite down the line. So again, Todd, this, uh, the hot topic, we're back to this hot topic issue. All of a sudden, you know, concentrated sector bets seem to be the ETF, you know, hot topic uh, uh, du jour here. Uh, is there a use case for, for, our, for concentrated bets? I, I do, because I don't think it's being used individually. I think when people are going to use these big ETFs, the big B for the banking one, or aerospace or, or airlines or what have you, is going to be a complement to a broader S&P 500 strategy. So you own the iShares S&P 500 ETF, IVV or SPY, the Spider S&P 500 ETF or so forth, and you can use more concentrated ETFs uh, to be able to augment your exposure. So if you want more in the banking space, or you want more within airlines, the same way that you might do individual stocks of favored names, but now you're getting the benefits of five or six of these companies to augment that. I think they make sense to that as opposed to just trying to do it themselves. Yeah. And we're seeing this year that active management and actively managed ETFs in particular have been relatively popular in complement to an existing core strategy. Well, we, we, we talked about, of, of course, what you know, the, the whole FANG stocks. And essentially, I don't know, Dave, can you tell us what's going to be in this big tech concentrate? How many t- stocks are going to be in this? Yeah, so for, for the big tech, it's structured in a similar way. And it's, um, you know, the five stocks that you probably uh, know, uh, know and expect. Um, you know, well, your, we know your who that alphabet. is. Yeah, exactly. Your Alphabet, your Amazon, um, your Apple, um, uh, and, and, and your, your, your Microsofts of the world. So, um, you know, this essentially it's your exposure to mega cap growth, names, whatever, whatever, um, whatever is the, the topic of joy. And I, I should have said Meta will be, would, would be in there as well. Yeah, it's Fang. You're sort of trying to reproduce what you know we used to call Fang. You know, my colleague Jim Cramer invented the word Fang. But you can't ago, get but- that right now easily with an ETF. Just those five or six socks. Either they're in a different yeah. sector. Well, there because is Vanguard some, big cap tech, right? There, there is a there. There yeah. is, but it's it holds a, little, a few a other things. Yeah. It holds a few other companies as well. So if you really wanted to make a call on just those five or six companies. There's an ETF that soon is coming, it sounds like, from Roundhill. It's not coming tomorrow, like the banking one, but there'll be a future ETF that's out there. You heard it here, folks. Big ETFs coming. Concentrated bets. We're on top of everything. That's why I got Todd here and my other friends here. Uh, So you heard it here first on ETF Edge. Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is the Markets 102 portion of the podcast. We'll be continuing the conversation with Todd Rosenbluth from Vetify. And uh, Todd, I want to take up a topic that I discussed on Friday, uh, but didn't have a chance to discuss on the show today. And that is uh, S&P has reweighted the S&P 500 Um, every year. uh, S&P and MSCI get together and they have an agreement called the Global Industry Classification System. I love that word, GICS, as we like to call it, where they move stuff around in different sectors. And this year they did two things that were really common sense, made sense to me in a common sense basis. Uh, They took Target uh, and they took Dollar General and they took Dollar Tree, which were in consumer discretionary, and they moved it to consumer staples. Now, Walmart was already a consumer staples. People used to ask me for years, how come Walmart's a consumer staple and Target is a consumer discretionary? And I'd say, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. And this year, they finally took three obvious consumer staples, the Target, Dollar Tree, and Dollar General, and moved it to with Walmart. And then they did another common sense thing. Visa and MasterCard and PayPal were always classified as technology stocks. Why, I don't know. 
but they move them to financials, which makes some sense. So the effect of all of this has been that consumer stables got a little bit bigger and tech got a little smaller and financials got a little bit bigger. Um, Riff on this for a minute. I try to explain why this is important. We have $6 trillion indexed to the S&P 500. It's important now because this stuff now changes how these these indexes trade in the future. That's right. So there's a whole suite of products that are sector ETFs. They own the S&P 500 financial sector, that's XLF, or they own the technology sector of the S&P 500, XLK, or they own consumer staples, XLP. I'll stop naming all of the tickers right here. And so if you own those ETFs, on Friday you owned a collection of stocks, and that's quite different than on Monday what you now own. So right now, Visa and MasterCard are two of the top five largest holdings within the financial select sector spider ETF. So we were talking earlier on the show, people are looking towards the financial ETF, XLF, to get exposure to the banks, to JP Morgan, to Wells Fargo, to Bank of America. They're getting less exposure to that today. Banks actually only represent 24% of the overall financial sector of the S&P 500, in part because Visa and MasterCard are now part of it in addition to American right. Express. So, so it's, not, it's not, it's really a bad idea to think if you own, oh, I own something that's an ETF, it's a financial, I own banks. You don't really. You own a lot of insurance companies. You do, right? So, and you own Visa and MasterCard. Right. And Berkshire Hathaway is the largest holding. And it's also important because there's new companies that if you were looking at the past performance of the sectors, you're looking at what was in it in the past, not what is yeah. in it today. So it's all the more The important. future is going to be different. The future way this trades will be different because Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal are in financials now. That's right. So the valuation is going to be different. The earnings stream is going to be different. It does matter what's inside the portfolio going forward, not just in the past. Yeah, again, it's a great teaching moment to explain to people. 30 years ago, nobody cared about this stuff because it was all an academic exercise. And now, with $6 trillion directly indexed to the S&P, this kind of stuff really matters. What kind of flows are we seeing around all this banking craziness or this year in general in, in the ETF business? So we're seeing lots of interest in financial ETFs in particular. I mentioned on the show, we're seeing traffic towards our Vetify websites disproportionately skewed towards financials. 50% of the sector ETF traffic has gone to financials. It's moved away from technology, from energy, from some of the sectors that we were talking about earlier. We are seeing lots of trading volume. That's a good sign that there's a liquidity. Doesn't mean people are buying. People mm. are also selling as well. Uh, but what we are seeing is that overall flows for the year uh, in the ETF space are, are not trending as strong as they were in the past. We thought coming into the year we might see a trillion dollars of ETF uh, net new money coming in. I think I was on your show in the, at the end yeah, of the year right. and thought that would end up happening. It's not happening. Money is not going in to traditional equity ETFs. There's a lot of uncertainty. You mean, you mean plain vanilla, like S&P 500 type funds? Exactly. Well, that's been a trend for a decade. That's so it, a very interesting point there. So what is that? Does that mean anything? So I think it will come back. I think people are moving money out of, some money's moved out of equities and gone into fixed income or money has gone into fixed income ETFs or money has gone into money markets. So yeah. if it moves from an equity ETF to a fixed income ETF, that would still well, that be would flows. make some sense. That would account that those facts would account for what's been going on. If bonds are down and equities are down, some people are going to... My right. mother is... I joke about my mother. She's pulling money out of her bank account and putting it into two-year treasuries. Right. Because I mean, you, you can get 4% now right. to be able to do that. And so why bother even doing anything else? I think money is going to come back 
Uh, and we will see a good year, not as good a year as we originally thought. But what is encouraging is where the money is going. It's going into international equity strategies. That's been out of favor. We have a home bias in the United States. People tend to ignore the international markets. We've seen demand for EFA, European ETFs, the iShares Core MSCI Emerging Markets ETF, IEMG has been very popular this year. So that's a good sign that people are looking overseas to get diversification benefits. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting uh, thought about finally international showing up. Europe's up 3.5% this year, the stock 600, outperforming the S&P for the first time in a long time. Asia's generally doing better. Uh, again, though, the problem with some of these moves, particularly in Asia and emerging markets, is it's very dollar-dependent and right. interest, you know, yield-dependent. So to the extent that, that the dollar gets weaker, some parts of the world are definitely going to do better. Right. So it's a, it's a hard... I, I'm eager to talk about reversion to the mean. You would think that global equities, eventually there should be some kind of reversion to the mean. But if the dollar remains strong... It, it, you don't necessarily get that. Exactly. So I, I, we'll see if it holds up lasting uh, longer, depending upon how the, the currency swings happen. But it's encouraging just to see to start the year. That's where money is going. It could, again, stay on the sidelines uh, and stay in, in the U.S. Yeah, good point. All right. Uh, thanks very much. Todd Rosenblut is the head of research at Vetify, and we appreciate you stopping by and talking with us. Always a pleasure to be with you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the ETF Edge podcast. Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Become an agent of innovation. Invesco QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.